0: hello everyone welcome back to cloud wars live we are having a great time here musing on the future of the digital economy digital lifestyles and the digital revolution that's sweeping every part of our lives we're delighted to have as back one of our monthly guests tony opoff who's the ceo of thomas thomas sits in between a lot of manufacturing companies and what they're purchasing and the customers buying those things thomas net has a vast trove of data about what's going on there and CEO Tony Uphoff is one of the people who observes that and weaves that in with his own broader strategic thinking on the world of business. Tony, thanks as always for being with us here.
1: Hey, Bob, always a blast to be on the show and good to see you.
0: Tony, um, now after that big buildup, you know, I, you got to really, you know, come through on this. But uh, as always, I think you've come in with some interesting no things going on. No, 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 no pressure. Yeah. No pressure. Uh, but... Tony, so a couple things I know you wanted to hit on, and there's threads in here that seem to me to really talk about, you know, uh, how important it is today for leaders really, really, really to be up on their toes, right? We can't sit back, you can't wait, you can't sort of let circumstances happen to us. And so please tell us a little bit about, I know the first thing you wanted to talk about was Remote 2.0. Yeah,
1: and, and Bob, boy, as usual, you nail it. I, I think this idea of agility is, is something we've been buzzing about for years and now it is an absolute requirement and being able to move rapidly and technology is obviously one of the best ways to enable our ability to, to you know, to be agile and, and to, to get the elephant to dance, if you will, in, in companies. It, it's kind of fascinating to see as remote work now bears down and, you know, it's been a year, right, or close to it, and we're now seeing people start to make medium to longer term uh, announcements about what this means going forward. So you know, what does remote 2.0 start to look like? Because I think at the initial parts of this, myself included, many of us thought, this is a pendulum swinging, right? We're gonna go remote and then the pendulum will swing back to you know the, the, the office first kind of structure that we have today. And we now realize that's not gonna be the case. It's gonna be something different and it is amazing to see so you and i were talking before we went on air salesforce.com you know built these massive you know beautiful offices with waterfalls and all kinds of you know really remarkable things and i think it was just last week they announced that they will provide an option for employees to either be fully remote or partially remote as they go forward and they didn't name a timeline for that ending and, and it appeared to be a declaration of the direction they're going to be in moving forward. For a smaller company at Thomas, we have announced a remote first, office second, and we will be returning with some level of frequency to an office, but it'll be a different office than what we had before. And and I think had we not made the investments in technology and understood how to do that, Bob, we wouldn't be able to do it. But I also think what's kind of fascinating is we're starting, and, and I'll speak as a, as a New York City-based company for a minute, we're starting to see glimmers that the we work that got so badly tarnished uh, in the markets may actually have a future, believe it or not. Because if you think about a future of companies like ours or others, what could happen in the future is we could be fully remote, but also have a small footprint, perhaps in more than one city, where we have a confluence of either customers or employees or both, And I think it'll be an absolutely fascinating time, Bob, as companies figure out how to pivot in and around those multiple models, and maybe attempt to do more than one of those, right? There may not be one answer to what remote 2.0 fundamentally looks like. Mm
0: -hmm. And Tony, you know, you think about stuff like, uh, I I heard somebody talking the other day. um, Actually, it was... uh, It was a video, it was uh, Sachin Nadella from Microsoft. He said, how many months is it gonna be until this notion of uh, having a, a telemedicine appointment, right? He said, those will be quite common, but we're rapidly getting to the point where before that engagement with the doctor occurs, you'll have various AI and ML solutions that come in see your name on the schedule go through your history supply the doctor with a number of things coming into it so this this immediacy and this sort of bang 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 thing that we've thought about a lot and it's it's popped up into different parts of our business but now it's going to be everywhere and so i think Tony, your point about this thing, remote 2.0, and what you talked about one or two episodes ago about the culture, the yeah, this new, how do you weave remote culture into a corporate culture without either one becoming, uh, you know, polarized uh, from the others? You know, how do how do you use it to strengthen things? So it, it's phenomenal, and it's just another big reminder that uh, leadership and culture inside companies just has to be one that says. We're going to stay real focused, but we're also going to have that nimbleness and agility to adapt far, far faster than we've well, ever had to before.
1: It, 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 and Bob, to your point, you know, we we as leaders need to be willing to challenge the assumptions that made us rich, right? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I know early on <laughs> in my career coming up, your the size of your office really mattered. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, I, I can remember, and I probably have shared this anecdote on the program before, getting a recent promotion and a peer who was at my now promoted level walked into my new office and was looking at the ceiling and I'm thinking what the heck is this guy doing and it comes to find out he was counting the acoustical ceiling tiles to assure that his office had as many as mine because he was literally going to go and complain if that was not the case so I think there are some deep held cultural biases, Bob, right? To this crazy <laughs> stuff that we look back at that and think, yeah. how nutty is that, that we were so yeah. tied to that? I, uh, is. I know, Bob, you know, and some of your listeners uh, might be aware, I serve at very honored to serve as a trustee at a university in Oregon called Linfield university, 163 year old, phenomenal, uh, private school in, in the area. And, we had a, a trustee meeting uh, over the weekend, and one of the challenges, and I don't think they'd mind my sharing, is <clears throat> that they've actually invested in the technology, and for the most part, they can do remote. They've had an online learning degree for, for many years now, probably close to a decade, <clears throat> but what's happening is culturally, tenured faculty is, um, to their, uh, their perspective, not well-trained in teaching remotely. And there's a reticence there. It's not the way they grew up. It's not the the tenure track that they had wasn't built around remote. And so it's not because they're not smart. It's not because they don't care about the students. It's because it's a cultural change. So, and I could then take that Bob and translate that to sales reps, to different people in different industries are happening. And I'm not trying to conflate a college professor to a sales rep, but at the same point in time their challenge is the same. How do I connect and motivate and communicate and and persuade and educate people in a remote environment when I've done it for most of my life and have the ability to come into an office and have props and different things that I can use to to share my narrative. And I I think that's a part, what you and I are touching on is, you know, as usual, the technology precedes cultural change. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got these amazing technologies but I really think the story that will be written about remote 2.0, Bob, is the cultural agility to use your point, but also the cultural innovation. How can we let go of the models that, you know, the cultural biases we all have. And look, it's easy for me to throw rocks, but trust me, I live in a glass house. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that's the, the remarkable both opportunity, but also challenge that many of us face as we try to figure out what does that kind of new world look like and how do I not just retain the productivity, but, but um, in many cases, perhaps accelerate it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tony, before we, we hop on your next subject, let me ask a question though about that thing with the ceiling towel. So if you get somebody in facilities to come into your office and, and he or she would divide each into four, would you be four times more important than that other guy?
1: Well, I'm I'm going to stop right there because you actually know the person that I'm talking about, and if you thought about it long enough, you might actually blurt out their name. And I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I'm I'm for still friendly with everybody, so I'm just going to back out of this conversation. But all kidding aside, Bob, and it is a true story. Um, it, 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 it's it's a great story because it resonates with everybody. Yes. Everybody can put their finger yes. on a similar dynamic. Yeah. You know. Yeah the size of my desk, you know, the yeah. size of my office, uh, you know, you, you, you get so hung up on these things because that's the way we grew up. Yeah. And then suddenly you reach an inflection point and in realizing, gosh, in the world that I'm going towards that no longer matters. So what does matter? yeah, Right. And how do I think, you know what I mean? What are the, the, yeah. the, the cultural identifiers of success or status or those types of things within a company culture? And I, I think as the world becomes remote, you know, uh, it's it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see where that that lands, right?
0: Tony, as you were, you were saying that, the, uh, I, I thought of a, a guy thinker in around the tech industry and innovation and all that. A guy named Don Tapscott, and probably oh, yeah. fifteen or twenty years ago, Don wrote a pretty interesting book. I, I love the title. It was uh, or, or one of his points was the. Uh, the t- I believe the book was called the naked corporation one of his big points was he said if you're going to be naked you better be buff and so as we we start to strip away these things in the culture right like you know new people come to they come and say wait a minute you people are hung up on how many ceiling towels do you have or, or what is that next thing you know that as you tick those things off there's going to be an exposure of these things that were they're not bad, or you know, evil, or something like that. But they were silly, they were frivolous, and they had nothing to do with ultimate success. But there were these sort of trappings that we all carried along with us. And I think it's going to be quite wonderful, and for the right uh, people who I think have their heads on straight, this is going to be, uh, you know, quite liberating for those who are I, caught up in the ceiling tile world. I, I
1: was just going to use that term, Bob, and I think you're spot on because you know it's interesting. You know, I, I grew up as you well know, and, and you did as well, in media companies that produced information products for tech professionals. And so oftentimes when you work in those kind of environments, your company starts to emulate the companies that you're covering. And so, you know, over time our company became less, you know, worried about ceiling tiles and, and more open office and yeah. kind of you know, emulating uh, oftentimes the tech and the tech economy. As you know, I spent a few years and helped remodel a company that uh, had entertainment industry assets, including the Hollywood Reporter and Backstage and Hollywood Creative Directory. It was like going back in time. You, you, I'm not kidding you, the, the, the person that I took over for had two assistants, there were three locked doors between walking through the newsroom and getting back to the office that I was given and the office that I was given included a private bathroom shower and I mean it was like nothing I'd ever seen before and back then many of the studio folks had private chefs and dining rooms and all those types of things so and I can remember at the time streaming was sort of a glimmer uh-huh. you know this uh-huh. was 2004 and you could see streaming coming and I remember saying to some of these folks, Netflix is going to eat you <laughs> because they don't care about any of this, right? <laughs> right. And you know, good naturedly, I'm joking. There's some super smart folks there. But it, what you and I are touching on is I think, Bob, as usual, we can talk about tech, but the real agility comes from the cultural you know, agility you know, is the phrase we're using today or the term we're using today. I think really comes from our ability to reimagine what we can do today as opposed to be hung up on, you know, well, we used to do it, or boy, if I let go of that, what's my status or any of those types of things.
0: Tony, uh, please, one other digression, if I could offer here, because it's fascinating, it's gonna affect, you know, any leader in any sort of industry, uh, all these things that you brought up. I wrote a piece this morning and, uh, you know, first part of the headline was the disruptive Larry Ellison. And it had in some ways very little to do with software technology, but it was about this, a naming convention, a category, right? And for whatever it is, 25, close to 30 years, the software industry, you know, one of the biggest and, you know, arguably most influential industries in the world, right? Because lots of people use it, companies run on it and so forth, but has been defined by these 25 or 30 year old terms, one of which, you know, the cornerstone of which is enterprise resource planning, right? And, uh, you know, do you as CEO of Thomas, do you go around thinking, oh, gotta get my enterprise resource planning. Nobody ever does that, but we carry this stuff forward. So true. it doesn't help us. And so it took Larry Ellison, a guy who God bless him, he's in his mid seventies, but he suddenly changed the the category for Oracle, which, uh, of CX, their customer facing things. He calls it now advertising and CX because their newest round of CX products allows somebody, as you're looking at a product and online, you see you're interested in it, the system gets that and it spins up an ad that is customized for that individual. So Larry, instead of saying, okay, we'll tack that onto the back end of 15 different things, our suite of products and he put it out at the front because I think, in his view, this is going to be the new thing that helps drive uh, the nature of that customer experience. So I I think it's, you know, the tech industry has these giant companies, phenomenal companies, big, bold, strong, but they've all allowed themselves to sort of be, you know, ring through the nose guided by these uh, 25, 30 year old names. And I think in a lot more business, you know, Shine that fresh light in there. What we're doing is very different from these old fashioned names or concepts or value constructs like that. So I just think the next year or two is gonna be fascinating for those sorts of well, changes.
1: And Bob, you and I have touched on this before. And I think this idea of the customer experience is something that, that we've used a lot, but now it's becoming a, a North Star for, for many folks, right? So the old you know, adage of technology is, you know. I'm just gonna overwhelm you with features and benefits. And I know there's gotta be one in there somewhere that's gonna capture your imagination and and you're gonna wanna do it. Now really understanding the customer experience and defining at perhaps even as Larry just did a a relatively granular example, but that's a job to be done. That's a problem to be solved. And I think that idea of understanding how to, I'll call it demonstrate or market technology at a more visceral level of of the job to be done is is really boy, Bob. We've been talking about this for twenty years, right? That eventually yeah. we were going to get there, yeah. and you know who, who would have thunk it? Maybe it's Larry Ellison that's uh, that lit the fuse <laughs> on on the enterprise. I, the other thing is, I, I you know, this is I'll, I'll give a personal perspective here because I have no data to back it up. I think the term enterprise is tired. Mm -hmm. and enterprise used to have a definition as by size of company. There was small to medium business, and then there was enterprise level, and it used to have a designation based on firmographics or demographics of a company. I I think it's, it's to me, it feels a little bit like when somebody says information technology, or they say enterprise, and I'm not just trying to speak like nomenclature needs to be modernized it feels to me like a very dated term. And I I don't know if that's fair, you're closer to that than I am, but Mm -hmm. I don't refer to what we do as an enterprise, either by size of business or in the way we describe it.
0: Yeah, Tony, you're right. And uh, even in that name, I've heard some, uh, you know, some of the usual suspects. I I, I wrote it toward the end of this article today, I said, you know, enterprise resource planning is the name that only Gartner could love. And I, I've I've heard I've heard a couple of new variants that uh, uh, Gartner has floated to some big tech companies about it. And if you think ERP is bad, and it is, you ought to hear some of their you know proposed replacements for it. But I think the big thing that has come in, you know, to your point there, the the enterprise is key. It's critical and all that. But the bigger thing is you know the network, the the, the network of stakeholders, that live, yeah. interactive, borderless. <laughs> thing where customers are driving the design and creation of products and partners are involved in go to market things more deeply than ever before. And there's that continuum of interconnected people where data is allowing uh, and digital technology is allowing those barriers to come down while providing better experiences for customers, better returns. Absolutely. For the producers and the partners involved there. So it, it it's very, very interesting stuff. Um, Tony, I I just want to say one other thing about this, um, you know, when it's been interesting, because uh, with Oracle's recent name change from CX to advertising and CX, I think the fact that uh, Google ads in 2020, uh, Google ads revenue was 147 billion. And Amazon doesn't specifically break out its advertising revenue, but based on, you know, some interpretations there it was somewhere between 15 and 20 billion dollars in 2020 and i suspect mr ellison might think hey if i can peel off you know one or two or three of those you know I've... who could not like this but uh there was a, a a video uh what do we call them tony in this modern age a virtual event uh, that oracle held about have you heard of them I,
1: I, supposedly this is people getting together, but they're doing it online, Bob?
0: Yeah. Zoomy, Zoomy, something like that. Loomy. But, um, Crazy. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so they had the executive vice president of what was then called Oracle CX business, a guy named Rob Tarkoff, who's terrific. And he was doing a fireside chat with Larry. And partway through here, Rob was doing a, a great job laying things out, but you get Larry all into something, you know, the center of gravity is going to, you know, perhaps be a little knocked out of whack. And, Rob was somewhat trying to keep Larry sort of on path, but Larry was going off on this thing and he got more and more fascinated by this advertising thing. And he said, nobody's ever been able to do this. He said, you don't have to go out and hire an ad agency and give them a lot of money and wait weeks and weeks or months until they get a product back. We can do it like that instantly. Nobody's ever done Now I don't know that nobody's ever done it before, but there's something in there that what he's saying is don't allow the ideas of the past or the stuff that got you here, lock you in from seeing what you're going to need to get you there. So I I just thought it was an extraordinary thing. And again, you have somebody who's been around for 40 years as the head of that company. (laughs) And he's the one who's coming and saying enough, enough, bring the new stuff in, let some fresh air and light and energy and ideas into this, because we are, we are, we are trying to talk about a new world, but we are locked into this stuff. From the past, and that's gonna hurt us.
1: Well, and Bob, isn't it really you know, one of the major reasons that disruption rarely comes from an incumbent? Yeah. Right? You know, every once in a while, but boy, it's tough like to conjure it up right now, right this minute, right? And you know, do you really think Walmart would be investing as heavily as they are in e-commerce and as successful if Amazon yeah. hadn't come along? Yeah, I nope, don't I don't think so. I'm gonna guess not, right? Yeah, and so I you know, it, and it's inspiring to see somebody like Ellison say what you will about him. You know, his remarkable level of success over forty years, and I think he sometimes does not get enough credit for being an innovator. Yeah, and and he indeed is, and perhaps he's onto something here again.
0: Yeah, it'll be fun to see. Well, Tony, um, thank you for indulging me some on that. I, I wanted to jump to one of your other ideas here, and it it, it goes hand in hand <laughs> with what we've just discussed here. Um, but broadly, if I can steal your headline, the automotive industry has become the electronics industry.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, it, it, it's interesting. So as, as you know, Bob, and many of your, your listeners know, um, we're very fortunate in that every second an engineer, procurement professional, or what's called an MRO, somebody running a factory floor is sourcing a product or evaluating a supplier on thomasnet.com. And it gives us, now we're close to four petabytes of ongoing buyer behavior data. So it gives us this extraordinary window into the industrial economy. And we're we're still kind of kids with a hot rod here understanding what we could do with all this data, but we're getting better and better and better at analytics. and one of the things that we've been looking at is sourcing for electronic components, electronic subassemblies and related products and services has just been ramping up and ramping up and it's just kind of off the charts right now. When you look a little bit more closely about where it's coming from, it's remarkable to see how prevalent it is with automotive companies right now. And as has been announced from major automotive companies, they're struggling to get a hold of enough electronics to meet the demand of cars they have right now. And this is universally true. It's true across all car companies. It's not you know, isolated with, with one type of company. And what, what hit me when I was looking at the data is, you know we're, we're basically seeing a shortage of supply of electronics for cars, not carburetors, not uh-huh. mufflers, <laughs> not chassis, not wheels, not tires not you know windshields not but electronics and you know in essence what's happening today as you well know is the average new car and by all makers has more electronic components in it today and has more in common with an advanced computer than it does with a car that was made 10 years ago and Uh it really is a remarkable transformation and I know You know, we people talk casually about the future of autonomous vehicles and things like that, but it is really a remarkable transition of an industry. And if you look also at the job postings, but also jobs in the automotive industry, boy, software developers, you know, uh, double E's electronic engineers, you know, they're competing for talent with major technology companies today, because it is, you know, these are becoming rolling electronic uh, devices in in many uh, regards. And I I just thought it was just fascinating looking at an update on the data. And I think part of this, Bob, and you and I talked briefly about this before we we started taping, I, I wonder if some of this is starting to take the next step towards Um, Another level of autonomy, I'm going to hold short of saying autonomous vehicles, but another level of autonomy, because I think with 5G in in the offing, I think the next level of taking advantage of the electronics that are in these cars is going to really, pardon the expression, take off in, uh, in this context.
0: Well, Tony, since you mentioned autonomous, please let me butt in here with a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. Uh, Tony, I I, I agree. It uh, It is so interesting, this blurring of industry lines right that for 100 or 200 years in some cases were you know rock solid and if your industry went in the toilet for some period of time if you're in there it's like oh well not my fault but down we go you know i i can't leave this and instead we see companies moving around and doing a little work with uh, sap and some of their uh, industries and one of the, the the names that's come up it's uh it, well it, it shows how that the lines were blurring between Mining and manufacturing because they now the customized things, it's probably some of what you see. But so, those formerly separate worlds, it's so wild to see. And I don't know, maybe we'll go from 25 industries either down to 10 or out to 600.
1: Well, I look, our mutual friend and colleague Sean Amirati was the first person that I heard actually say digital transformation is not the point, it should enable business model transformation. Mm-hmm. And as usual, it was such a, and he, he, he said it so casually, it, it was such a profound insight to me that I shamelessly use that about every five <laughs> seconds to people I'm talking to. But, but I think it really is, it encapsula- encapsulates, pardon me, what you're talking about, Bob, is that I think the ability to, to see the power of the combination of these technologies now starts to open up different ways of either creating capabilities or enhancing um, you know, the product or service that you offer. It might, might create the opportunity to offer it in a different way financially, right? It may create a, it, an entirely new capability that we haven't thought of. You, you and I were, pardon me, car- carrying on an email thread about how cloud computing is in some cases um, as expensive if perhaps in, in some cases not more expensive than what happened previously, but what it's opening up are exponentially broader capabilities. And, and these are really remarkable times, I think, in that regard. And I start to look at the auto industry and start to think, you know, where could this go in, in the future? You know, our, our car companies really pioneered the idea of leasing. Well, leasing is just another form of recurring revenue. Yeah. Right. And so it, it starts to open up. I wonder what we might see in the future. You know, will this open up fractional ownership and other models that, that we've kind of thought might be the case in the auto industry, but never really took off? Um, you know, what, what other types of subscription services? You and I have long talked about the car is, you know, where so many people spend time. Are there you know, subsets of subscription services that pre-exist but perhaps could be turbocharged by some of these technologies. I, I think, and, and I, it, it's inspiring to me because I hope your listeners, as I did when I really studied this, start to think about the auto industry but start to look in the mirror and think, well, wait a second. How about my, what, you know, is there something similar to my business here? You know, as I add technology, what capabilities are being enhanced because the days of just looking at technology as an efficiency play are over. If you haven't wrung the efficiency out of your company by adding technology, you're probably soon to be out of business, my friend. So, you know, it's now really about where can I parlay technology into capabilities I didn't have, or perhaps hadn't even begun to think of before that are now at my fingertips. Tony, um, you
0: know, recent conversation with um, Thomas Curran from Google Cloud, one of the, we were talking about this business model transformation. One of the things he said, he said, tell me that, you know, anybody would have considered this possible a couple of years ago. He said, you've got companies, he said that buy a lot of heavy uh, either uh, manufacturing or transportation equipment. And he said that all goes as a capital expense. He said, and he said, no company wants to plow money into capital expenses. So they got together with some people from the financial industry, and the the financial industry is now saying, "Well, hey, maybe we take all that and we turn that into a financial instrument that you know people can invest in and arbitrage and play it that way." So suddenly, he said, "You know, that's better for the companies making it." The financial industry does somehow, but he said, "Who would ever have thought that there'd be this natural synergy between highly sophisticated, highly mathematical, somewhat theoretical financial instruments and big." heavy stuff, you know, that's. I,
1: I, I love it, Bob, you know, in, in the state of Michigan, there's a, 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 a program called Project Diamond and there's some state money that's involved in this and they've put together that, at least at this stage, is the largest 3D printing network that's yet been created and it's in the state of Michigan and they work with a software company, a series of different suppliers and they now have, I believe it's over 300 companies that are online with 3D printing or additive manufacturing capabilities. So what what it's done is for, and we've been interviewing many of these companies to try to get a better understanding of the the new capabilities. And what it's done is put within the grasp a shared service of 3D printing, whereas on an individualized basis, it might've been cost prohibitive to your point. And they're collectively coming together, but the, the innovations are kind of mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Where companies are starting to think, well, wait a second. God, I could locate one of these close to clusters of customers. I could start to completely reinterpret different things that we do. There's cost savings, but much more. There's enhanced capabilities that can come from something like this. And I, I love the story about Google Cloud. I'm, I'm you know, as, as many things Google does, I'm stunningly impressed with. Their kind of quiet, you know, growth, if you will, of of their cloud business. And Kurian is, you know, he's obviously done done a remarkable job there. But my guess is it's just the beginning. And I think those innovative where capital can come together with technology and then enable, you know, various businesses and business models. I, I think that's really clever. And I, I applaud their efforts in that area because I think what the project diamond is a fundamental similar thing, you know. The capital in this case being provided by the state of Michigan, but putting those kinds of programs together and then putting technology in the hands of of people to do, you know, what they can do best with it.
0: Yeah, Tony. You know, as you, as you were describing that the the project diamond in Michigan and the the example from Google Cloud and the in the capital markets world, I reflected back to your points earlier about your time in, uh, you know, with the Hollywood Reporter and that sort of business. So the movie, remember the scene, I, you probably haven't seen it, but many of us have seen the movie Blazing Saddles. It might not, you know, fit your genre, but, uh, but the, that, that scene, right, where uh, Slim Pickens and the bad guys are riding through the desert to cause all sorts of trouble in the town. And the guys in the town bought a little time, they put a toll booth out in the middle of the desert. And so the bad guys come in and they stop this toll booth that's five feet wide. And the head of the bad guys, ah, so I'm going to go back and get a whole bunch of dimes because they don't, you know, anyway, it's it's seeing things in a certain way and, you know, how they have been and the restrictions on it rather than seeing, well, what's possible here? How can I get around this? And maybe the whole thing about the... The heavy equipment and this new opportunities just that they were they were trying to feed dimes into a slot machine instead of saying wait there's a different there's a different currency that can be applied here there's a different model behind it that liberates this rather than saying now nah, this we're just stuck this is a bob it's it's such a great it's yeah. such a
1: great metaphor and it, it, it's interesting sticking with the hollywood theme <clears throat> i i can remember so this would have been 2004 the dvd sales so Film theatrical release, about ten point five billion uh, a year. DVD sales, twenty-two billion. <laughs> twenty-two billion. Streaming, basically nothing. Blockbuster was was a big deal. Netflix was was going and, and growing, but nowhere near the Netflix we could have possibly envisioned today. And I can remember, you know, I, I would talk like a tech guy with, with these studio folks and I would talk about the future and what could happen and streaming could become real and all this stuff. And they'd really, I mean, kind of politely, oh, you know, <laughs> kind of chuckle and, you know, oh, hey kid, you know, you'll learn this Hollywood thing eventually. And, you know, they would, they would, and I remember thinking, you have a, you have a $22 billion revenue stream in DVDs. And at that stage, they couldn't imagine that that wasn't going to exist for the foreseeable future. Now maybe it, even if it declined a little bit and you know streaming eroded into it, I have no idea what the DVD sales are for um, theatrical uh, releases today. But I can guarantee you they're nowhere near uh, 22 billion dollars. And you know streaming came around, but smart people, unbelievably successful, unbelievably creative. Right, you know, Hollywood created, um, you know, uh, financing programs and and an offlaying of risk with multi-tiered financing programs, packaging on television. You know, it's easy to goof on Hollywood, but Hollywood has been not just an innovator in filmed entertainment, they've been an innovator in business. But for whatever reason, it was very hard for them to see that. And, you know, it's the old, you know, can you challenge the assumptions that made you rich? And I, I can remember kind of saying, you know, that sound you hear is the sound of tech coming. And, and it's not capture process and storage technology like what you're used to. You're, you're yeah. doubling down on, boy, if the fidelity could just even get better in the yeah. theater. And I'm thinking, yeah. I think, you know, that's great, but you're yeah. studying to the wrong <laughs> test here. They're going to kill you over here. You got to pay attention, you know.
0: I don't I forget the year but it would have been somewhere in the late 90s but uh, you're very much along those lines. I saw Andy Grove, who at the time was the the CEO, of yeah. the, perhaps then the chairman of Intel. and he was speaking at, a, at an event that was not so much a Hollywood but broadly entertainment industry and all that. And I remember he walked out on stage and his opening thing was he showed a big slide how big the video rental market was. And he said, that is, he said, that's a big number. And it was many, many billions. And he said, the problem is, he said, uh, a next slide came up and the number reduced by 35 or 40%. He said, 35 or 40% of that is late fees. He said, now I promise you, he said, I promise you. He said, any business that is motivated or driven <laughs> by penalizing your customer said somebody's gonna come up with a better way. So he said, "Enjoy it while you can, because this will not last." And uh, you're right in encouraging, you know, all of us to think about it. You know, this is not isolated to Hollywood or heavy equipment or here or there or somewhere. This is coming for all of us. And so, that cultural agility with leaders and that business model uh, business model nimbleness that's required never more than ever before. And I think throughout this year, it's only going to get more intense and more accelerated and more urgent.
1: Well, and I think, you know, Bob, to your point, we will continue for the foreseeable future. And I would say in perpetuity to look at a, you know, pre 2021 and post 2021. And I, I think, you know the, the, this, this, you know, the year of 2020, if you will, being the dividing line. And, and I, I really think, you know, business schools and, and you know, uh, authors and others or historians, pardon me, will study this. And I think, you know, to say that these trends are accelerating based on what we've gone through would be a dramatic understatement. Mm-hmm. You mentioned telemedicine before. There's nothing new about getting on the phone with your doctor or getting on a video call with your doctor. The fact of the matter is insurance companies didn't always support the idea and the infrastructure itself in the healthcare system didn't. Guess what they're doing now? I, I, I don't know if you've had a telemedicine appointment. You know, I, I had a telemedicine appointment with uh, with my doctor recently and it lasted all of about eight minutes. It was thorough. It was enjoyable. We got a chance to kind of laugh and talk. I was geeking out with him about, you know, how, how do you like the technology and, and you know, enabling, you know, this and how is this working for your business? And, you know, it it, it was remarkable. But you know, the gating mechanism is, well, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the healthcare system didn't support it. And in many yeah. cases, insurance companies didn't yeah. support it. Boy, they do now. And just go down the list, Bob, of things that, that I think are going to, um, you know, it's, it's opened up our imaginations, perhaps force, forcibly, mm-hmm. and perhaps in ways we didn't always want to have to have our imaginations opened up, right? You know, yeah. it's the, it, but, you know, forced agility is still agility. Uh, you know, and, and uh, it, it, perhaps the forcing function wasn't what we wanted, but but all kidding aside, I think there's some just remarkable things that we will look back and say, kind of, there was this line, you know, almost like the industrial age or the agricultural age, is there something we're, we're going to witness here, Bob, that accelerated um, this technological age. Um, you know, that that we're that we're uh, we're living in that seems to be going even faster mm. and with enhanced capabilities.
0: Yeah, um, hey, Tony, before we close, can I ask you one question about that telemedicine thing because I haven't done one yet. do you do you have to do you have to put on that blue paper sheet?
1: You know, that's up to you. That okay. is uh, is completely up to you now, <clears throat> in in my particular case, um, what I was talking to my physician about, I don't want to disclose, you know, go no, against no, the no. laws here or anything like that. Please was was not something that required a physical exam of any sort. Okay, and so okay. Uh, I, I'll I'll share with you and your listeners. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll break the protocol here. It's allergy related. So there, just so you you kind of know, but. Um, it, okay. it is an interesting thing. I'll, 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 I've shared this anecdote with you before though. One of the things that's come clear is, I don't know, but upwards of somewhere 99% of people who were diagnosed with COVID were able to stay out of a doctor's office and out of a hospital and still get medical care. Yeah, And, and I may have my numbers slightly off but it was in the 90th percentile which is really remarkable if you think about yeah. this. Yeah, you know, obviously getting a vaccination—that's a different dynamic—and we're seeing you know that play out you know uh, as as the next step in the process. But in any ways, nothing to nothing to worry. The allergies are much better. Thank you.
0: Oh, oh good. I was well again. HIPAA prohibited me from you know probing too much there. Tony, oh, can we my. can we hold? Uh, you've got a third grade subject. Can we hold that for next time? Because I've I've tied up that a lot of your your day here. This has been great. Thanks, Tony. All those things that come together, right? And I I really want to go through the transcript of this later because there are there are some interconnected themes, right? There's a thread of various things that you talked about that are that are really really important. And uh, I want to maybe bug you to see if there's a chance you might you know, put together a couple of thoughts on that, that maybe we could uh, uh, drop an article on Cloud Wars, just, you know, interconnecting some of these big themes that you brought up today. They're very, very powerful and they're important for anybody in any sort of industry.
1: Hey, I look forward to it, Bob. As, as usual, when you and I get together, we we take a couple of ideas and weave it into something that uh, that uh, is actually pretty powerful. So I, I look forward to that.
0: All right, Tony, thanks. Always good to see you.
1: Likewise, Bob
0: and folks to all of you thanks for being with us here at cloud wars live we're having a lot of fun there's uh crazy things are happening in this world and i don't think it's going to stop anytime soon so buckle up tight lace up your shoes and uh let's enjoy this ride we look forward to seeing you next time